autism, where affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Welcome. We have a follow-up podcast today with Christy Gozi. She is from Fresno, California, and she's an infant family mental health specialist, a developmental individual differences relationship-based or DIR expert facilitator and trainer, a professor at Fresno City College, where she coordinates the Early Intervention Certificate Program, and she owns and operates the Touchstone Family Development Center in Fresno, which is a DIR center. Now, last time we talked about floor time with groups, including siblings and neurotypical children. We talked about the sensory processing profile, how to pause and regulate in real life when it's mass chaos, how we look at the environment, how we take into account parents being regulated and in an environment that they feel comfortable in as well when they play. Mm -hmm. And we talked about uh, siblings, how, how much information siblings can offer about uh, the children that are autistic or have developmental differences. We talked about parent being mediator in playgroups. And Christy gave us some wonderful tips and we feel like we ran out of time and thought we should do a follow-up podcast. So welcome back, Christy. Thank you. Thank you, Daria. It's so fun to be here with you and all your families who tune in. Uh, so thank you for inviting me once again. And yes, we did run out of time. And there's, there's just so, so much that uh, we can talk about. And uh, I think we should just go ahead and get started, shall we? Absolutely. What did you uh, feel like we should follow up with first? Yes. Okay. Well, just thinking about uh, engaging small groups with our neurotypical and neurodiverse children and helping them join together, some topics uh, came up be between that session and today. <clears throat> and the one thing that really rings with me is, is that symbolic thinking piece of the DIR model. Okay, now we all know that those higher FEDCs, those functional emotional developmental capacities, uh, we want those FEDC five and six and higher. And what I find the most with working with small groups and working in the family setting is is once we get to FEDC4 and we start touching that symbolic thinking piece, I see, you know, I see us kind of not knowing what to do and not know how to think about symbolic thinking. So I wanted to talk about that. I also wanted to revisit some of the things that we had discussed before. Um, I wanted to think about group size and group configuration in terms of regulation. And also lastly, some actual strategies to support regulation in those small groupings once again. Does that sound good for our time together? Absolutely. Yes? And uh, okay. just, just to um, segue into that for symbolic piece, just to give listeners who may not be as familiar with the DIR model, mm -hmm. uh, you may have, if you've listened to other podcasts here at affectautism.com, you may have heard me talk about my son. He's been right in the middle of that FEDC4 right now, which is 
uh, we're talking about the early social developmental, social emotional capacities that children, neurotypical children typically go through in preschool years and, and from infancy to preschool. But some of our kids with developmental differences really have biological challenges to get through those. So through floor time, we are aiming to wire their brains to get those social emotional capacities so they're able to relate with us, to communicate with us, and to be able to think symbolically, logically, eventually. And we really see our son jumping in there, Christy, because he Yay. he's starting to do imaginary play for the first time at age 10. Now he's been doing it for about a year now or so. So yeah, he might have he might have been nine or ten when he started. And it's it's very simple themes. It's just imitating what he has seen on PJ Masks. So watch out, Gecko, here I come. Oh no, we're going around the bend. Blah blah blah. He's like acting out little things. And as you get into the fifth capacity, you start to have more emotional themes and mm -hmm. and then into the sixth having more logical sequences of themes. But um, one thing that we talked about in a recent podcast with Maude LaRue is that the timing and sequencing really comes together in the fourth capacity. And our son's really working on that because he doesn't understand that sense of time yet. What does it mean that I have to wait until the light turns green before the car can move again? I want to yeah. go now. I want to go now. I want to go now. I want to go now. So is that a good segue into what you want to oh get into? Oh, my goodness. Oh, you, okay. <laughs> A beautiful synopsis, yes. And I, I let's talk about what symbolic thinking is, first of all. And you already mentioned it's not only imaginary play, but it is logic, it is sequencing ideas, it is creating a storyline. So there's, there's that um, uh, thinking piece, but there's also the organization of the body piece that when my body is organized, I get another idea, like I can connect another idea to create my storyline. And what, what I love about the DIR model is it brings home again and again how we can support that process. Um, moms and dads often like to pull out a lot of toys uh, to get to that symbolic uh, thinking place. And I want to remind us all that once again, our sensory profile, what's happening visually, spatially, what's happening with my body placement, what's happening in the room. And remember, central to this is the relationship. So guess what? Put the toys away. You become the second half of the story. So when your little one says, watch out, gecko, that means I become the gecko. And what am I gonna do? How am I gonna interact being the gecko now, rather than pulling out a gecko? That might be dysregulating, by the way, when we pull something else into the mix, when we've got a nice rhythm of circles of communication. One thing I wanna bring to our attention is typically when a child is at that good, strong FEDC4, and they're inching in to symbolic thinking of five and six, that can be very dysregulating. So what, I'm, what I use, a strategy I use, is I look for how many circles of communication I can get. And when those circles begin to break down, that means I'm losing regulation. So I'm, I've got 20 or 30 circles. 
It's going really well. We're having a lot of fun. We're laughing. We're joyful. And suddenly my little one gets under the table or runs away or bites me or lashes out. Remember, we need to appropriate challenge, create those 20 or 30 circles, but watch your rhythm and then reduce the demand. Sit down now. Maybe go back to organizing the body. Maybe go back to doing a rhythm with your rhythm sticks or a, a swaying movement or the swing or some breathing. And then, and then say, oh man, that was a great story, wasn't it? And, and reach back in to the theme. Or your little one might change the theme. And that's A-OK. -okay. Those, some ideas that I wanted to pose, uh, and once again, I said, you know, families kind of don't know what to do with these imaginary ideas, but guess what? Many of my OTs, PTs, and speech therapists are trained beautifully clinically from the sensory perspective, but that symbolic thinking piece is often a mystery. Like, like what, what do I do? Well, once again, that swing becomes your pirate ship. That climbing structure becomes your fort. And, and the cowboys are running around on their horses or whatever the, the theme may be. Pi I'll tell you what, pirates are a real go-to. You can do everything with pirates. You can capture treasure. You can run from the sharks. You can... Uh, swim in the waves of the ocean and <clears throat> you know you can just go anywhere with that the other day I was video videoing a mama <clears throat> playing with her little one we had all the gross motor equipment out and this is a real creative mom she's like you Daria she's warm and nurturing and real creative but I tell you what, when, when it was sensory play for what we were looking for, that's what I had asked her to just, just play with this stuff, that she really became stumped and her body froze. She escalated. She started zipping from one piece of equipment to another without that symbolic piece. So she, once again, she became disorganized with that symbolic thinking piece. So I just want to, wanted to talk about that. Maud, the other day, when I watched her presentation, she brought up such that, a wonderful piece that I myself have, have really tuned into uh, these past few weeks. And that is that timing element between my idea in symbolic thinking, I've got a great idea but it's gonna take a time element to sequentially organize my body. My body has to do this, 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 and this before I can execute my idea. Just like the stoplight. I, I wanna go, I wanna go. But mama has to get into par or put on my brakes. We have to wait for other cars. We have to process that. It, then we have to actually wait our turn so that takes time and that time element is essential to symbolic thinking. 
So we want to pair those two up. Okay, now, what if you actually do lose regulation when you're in a cool scenario? I've got some strategies I already mentioned. Count those circles of communication. Even if you're having fun, that can be very over-regulating, over-registering for somebody's sensory system. Uh, watch, watch the level of demand that you are supplying ideas. You may have to go back to one of my favorite strategies of Dr. Stanley Greenspan and Dr. Serena Weeder is affect, action, and word. You might have to go back to using your face. You might go back to reducing your speech and using your body and then assign either a single word, gecko, 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 gecko. And the storyline will return to getting up there to that top complexity where you were. I always teach my students AAW, when all else fails, AAW, affect, action, word. And it can be a single word or it could be like a very short phrase. I was in a classroom the other day and it was a toddler classroom and we have two neurodiverse children in the toddler classroom, in this particular classroom. And the toddler teachers were warm and loving and nurturing. But guess what? They were functioning at FEDC 5 and 6. And maybe even into 7. Too much language. Too many what, when, why, how, where questions. But guess what, Daria? It was too much language for all of the toddlers. Even the neurotypical toddlers. So the coaching that I give the most is to reduce the speech and language, and that will actually get you to higher FEDCs, FEDCs in terms of symbolic thinking. It seems counterintuitive, but it is, it, that's your ticket. You want the higher FEDCs, you want that deep, intimate, joyful engagement you have to support that regulation up, 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 up. And that's where you'll get the more complex thinking. Now, Go ahead. Um, now, just as a little bit of a follow-up to that podcast with Maude where she talked about the timing, what I did was um, the next, I think it was even that day, I, I did school pickup and on the way home, we had a number of red lights and I said, oh, I, I anticipated, like gave him a warning like, Oh, the light's going to be red. We're going to have to wait. Hmm, I wonder what we're going to have to count to until it turns green. What do you think? And he said six. I don't know why he said six. So I went one, two, three, up to six. And it, it turned green. I was like, oh, you were right. And then we drove and, and it helped regulate him so much just to listen to the counting and anticipate what was going to happen. And when we got to the next one, I said, oh boy, this one's a really long one. I think it might be a hundred this time. And he was a little bit dysregulated, but I went through and I counted all the way to the hundred 
And guess what happened <laughs> just by lucky, had a lucky guess. It was exactly a hundred by the time we turned. It was like, you know, two blocks long of a wait to turn left on this one street oh we had to drive down. <laughs> so it was a hundred and I said, wow, that was so long. Yeah. Um, but that counting slowly and it's not, oh, you know what? Well, first we have to wait till all these cars go and then we have to turn and then blah, 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 blah. It was just three, four, 36, 37. And then he started counting too. Yeah. And even though he was restless, like he wanted to, like he wanted to get through it quicker, it did help him a little bit. So, um, I mean, that was my way of sort of regulating him. Now, whether that will continue to work, because he might be like, oh, I don't want to wait that long again. That took forever to count to 100. Next time I might have to do something different. But <laughs> Right, right. Okay, your rhythmic counting is almost like breathing and or like rhythm sticks or doing something rhythmic with my body i think that's a lovely strategy you know uh, one other idea uh, that i put into practice when i'm working with a small group is i will use a storyboard and it's just a board that has squares on it and i will sometimes either put a stick figure in there to represent someone's idea or I might put a um, uh, a word, a single word into that represents somebody's idea. And even if the children can't read, they know that their idea has been symbolized. Once again, symbolic thinking, and they can visually track the pattern of our story. If we're, I'm going to go back to pirates just because that's fresh right now. Um, you know, we can put into sequence what we have to do with our bodies to do our story. And guess what, Daria? I do it just like you. I do it really rhythmically. What's number one? What's number two? And we go through the storyboard. And that visual spatial organization is very regulating. And then guess what? We're regulated. The body feels good. We can act out our story. We can add more ideas, um, et cetera, et cetera. Now, okay. Let me ask what you a quick question. What about for, and this is a stereotypical statement because it might not be just dads, but what about um, the, let's say the people with personalities who are not comfortable talking like a kindergarten teacher. One, two, like my husband, he, for the life of him, he just feels ridiculous talking like that. Like he just won't do it. Right, it's dysregulating for him. And I also wanna, oh, excuse me one second. I can't meet right now. <laughs> Sorry about that, Daria. I'm, okay. I'm in my office, so. Okay, what was I going to say? Dad, that's dysregulating for dad. And absolutely, there is a cultural index here. You understand that? We talk about this in our certification process, that we are dysregulated when we are asked to do something that's outside of our known cultural indices. So a grown man in our society talking like a Kindergarten teacher just isn't cultural for us. Okay, so I have two thoughts about that. No, I should I should say there are a lot of men who are like 
way better floor timers than oh. a lot of people I've seen and think about Mr. Rogers and you know like just yeah. it 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 can be a different style you can be uh Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop interacting yeah. with the kids like you right, can still right. have affect and be fun and you know there might be a different style to it but some people just don't that doesn't come naturally to them that's right. not their um right and it depends on their, it depends on their family of origin and that is their cultural influence is their family of origin i've had mamas tell me i just can't it's it i've even had mamas say it makes me feel demeaned it makes me feel embarrassed it makes me feel less than for some reason so lo and behold two thoughts two thoughts number one find your way to play that feels good to you your child will join you because your affect will be warm and nurturing so find the find the interaction that feels good and feels com comfortable and cultural to you that's the first thing the second thing is become aware of your own sensory profile we can we can gain skill daria we all had to learn the dir model we all had to learn floor time we all had to learn what our own cultural indices were and make decisions about them and what which ones we want to keep and which ones we want to break through to get those higher fedcs there's one more thing you know ultimately and we talk about this all the time ultimately we want our children to be able to engage in a joyful way with their fellow humans so right so so we want to increase the range of humans that they can interact with and we want to develop their skill as well so we do want to increase the demand that they are able to tolerate so i will often switch between my aaw voice and the way i talk and i i want to i want that little one to learn to to engage with a different person in a different way as well as me supporting that child once again co-regulation right and it's not a one-way situation it's not a one-way process that i want my little one to gain some skill in supporting the co-regulation as well so when I'm losing regulation, I go diligently go back to my support strategies. But all of a sudden, guess what? My little one is talking to me. Like all of a sudden, my little one is talking to me. So then I, I tailor and I, I change to mirror uh, what that little one uh, has gained. You know, they gained a new skill. I had a little uh, guy the other day who is not verbal without a prompt but guess what all of a sudden and i can't remember i might have even said this to you before did i talk about the horse named spirit the I last time so. i don't think so okay so i'm trying to get this little guy to engage and we've got our dinosaurs out i'm a dinosaur uh but he keeps leaping around the room 
and he's he's doing his hands in a certain shape okay i'm trying to figure out what's his idea and i keep saying oh you know what you have an idea i see you have an idea all of a sudden dad said you know he's been watching the cartoon spirit spirit is a horse and the horse is the star of the um of the animated show okay the second i said i'm spirit i'm spirit he started talking daria <laughs> he said spirit and he started leaping with me and we were grazing together and he said drink water he was drinking water and we were both spirit all together notice how the idea the body communication the co-regulation we don't get speech from this little guy without a prompt but guess what we actually did get higher symbolic thinking and it wasn't in baby talk it was spirit and he returned spirit spirit drinking it wasn't it wasn't that baby talk if you will it wasn't that other speech pattern so long story short in the co in the course of co-regulation and in the course of regulation we gain skill and our little one gains skill and that's our goal we want to get to that symbolic thinking place together um you know i what came across my desk is have you heard of the inner world work company in the uk uh, Helen Townsend. It's innerworldworkco.uk. She produces some wonderful materials for supporting parents in co-regulation. I do not know if she is a DR, DIR practitioner, but it wouldn't surprise me a bit if we found out that she was a fellow floor timer because she delineates in co in co-regulation she delineates the fight behaviors the flight behaviors the freeze behaviors and she adds submit submission behaviors and strategies how we can support regulation in each of those over registered states I think I see submission more than I thought initially. Uh, submission is behavior. Of course, it's shut down. It looks under-registered. It looks like freeze without the anxiety. It is dissociation. It's wandering. It's, you know, just kind of tossing the toys or tossing the idea aside and that one when I think of like as other associated issues with our neurodiverse children such as clinical depression uh, gut issues um, anxiety indicators I'm thinking that I'm seeing submission uh, more than some of the other over-registration uh, states. 
So her work brings that to our attention and how to co-regulate, once again, relational safety. I'm right here. I see that you're feeling upset even when there might not be affect, but your body tells me something's going on. Let's sit together. Let's breathe. I'm right here to get that engagement once again. It's just good work. I thought I would announce it on your podcast because it's great information. Sure. I will put the link at affectautism.com. If people want to look up Christy Gose, G-O-S-E, you'll find the blog post associated with this uh, podcast. Wonderful. A few more notes that I want to talk about with groups since we have a few more minutes, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mentioned I was in a classroom the other morning and I see a critical difference in in settings where there is group care and many of our families require group care. Uh, the differences between programs that have primary care groupings and programs that do not have primary care groupings. Uh, primary care grouping is a construct that's well supported in the literature, in the child development literature. And it supports the idea that in a classroom, a single adult teacher can only engage up to five or six children appropriately at one time. So that means when the sixth or seventh child joins the group, the regulation does not get watered down. It literally falls apart. And then we lose engagement with all of them. So uh, when we institute primary care groupings from a sensory perspective, oh, from a sensory perspective, but I wanna talk about the emotional perspective, that the DIR model requires that nurturing, warm, deep relationship that is central to all growth and development. So that's the piece that the primary care grouping brings to the DIR model. From a sensory perspective, it helps us mediate sensory processing so much more easily. So what that means in the classroom setting is that a teacher has primary intimacy responsibility with a set grouping of children. So those children not only attach securely to their teacher, but they attach securely to the children in their primary care grouping. Even though it's a large classroom, and even though it's a large setting, that touchstone in the classroom for our neurodiverse children is critical. That can I find, not, not these other teachers that I don't know as well, I know them, but I can't rely on them necessarily to know me well enough to support me, I need my primary care grouping teacher who knows me so well that she or he can support me. So I wanted to bring that to the table. In terms of visual spatial processing, you know, the zooming in and out of children in a small group is very dysregulating into the visual spatial field. So if I got my small grouping around me, number one, that helps me. 
Number two, another thing that helps me is now in my environment, I can look for my, my emotional anchor. I can look for my touchstone and I can, that helps me block out all of this other visual spatial information that is not salient when I, when I need to be regulated. So I wanted to bring that to the table when, you know, working with siblings, working with small groups, working in the classroom setting. There is resistance to primary care groupings in our field of child development uh, because teachers, that somehow is, um, communicates to some teachers that that creates a situation where some, some children won't like me then. Uh, or I, that means I won't like some of the children, but that is not what it is at all. It has to do with the, the, the critical need for intimacy in our group care settings. So I wanted to bring that to the table as well. Once again, we have to look at the teacher sensory profile. Uh, she or he needs to become awake and aware of his own, her or his own triggers and what is over-registering for that particular teacher. And sometimes we can fashion beautifully co-regulation, beautiful co-regulation within a certain primary care grouping by creating sensory profiles that are easily supported by one another. So, yeah, another and, idea. And so you covered uh, the R and the I there, like thoroughly, the R, the relationship in the DIR model, the I, the sensory processing, individual differences. Yeah. And um, it, what, were there any, I, I can't remember at the beginning if you had covered what you wanted to cover or if you had another topic you're getting into? Mm -hmm. I really just wanted to think about that entering symbolic thinking. Uh, and, oh, well, help me, Daria. I, I'm looking at my notes here. Okay, we, because I, I was, yeah, Go I was going to follow up and say, what about the D? So, um, yes. we, we've talked, uh, in, in at affectautism.com, I've had a podcast with Maud previously called Remediation versus Accommodation, where some yeah. of the things we do accommodate, but what can we do to remediate? And that was more in terms of occupational uh, therapy intervention. And I'm going to be doing a podcast very soon with Dr. Gil Tippy about um, that, where, you know, there are things we have to do to get through the day, like yeah. go to the dentist. <laughs> So yeah. social stories, visual schedules, things like that help us get through the day, but they don't move kids developmentally. So yeah. what kinds of strategies in the groups um, are we doing to move the kids developmentally? And you covered some of this, but I just want to say it more explicitly for parents to understand, you know, one thing to make things easier, like um, having dad there to tell you that he watches spirit I mean, how would you have known right. if dad hadn't told you, but once you found that out, you can then move the child developmentally because now you're getting that symbolic thinking. You're getting the back and forth. You're, you could social problem solve, like where are we going to drink some water? Or I'm just right. making this off, of, off the top of my head, but um, maybe just the last couple of minutes here that we have left, you could talk about, um, is it, how challenging is it to push our kids developmentally in a group setting? 
Yeah. Oh man, Daria, you, you've just, we could do an entire podcast on this. I'm <laughs> glad Gil is coming. I'm glad Maude will be returning. But my piece, which is the child development piece and the early intervention piece is I got to tell you, nothing works like typically developing models. So I am a real supporter of good inclusion, not Oh man, and I say this all the time. Terrible inclusion is really easy to do. Good inclusion takes takes organization, takes understanding, takes the DIR understanding. But good inclusion, what that means is my neurodiverse child who is not eating at home, when I sit that child at circle or mealtime at school in a program in a small group setting and all of the children are eating guess what that neurodiverse child it takes it they will need sensory support you have to be right there and you need to support the typically developing children to stay in the interactions and to help that little one eat but we see those rituals and routines that connect to home come alive when we are able to add a typically developing peer. I was just at, uh, just had a dad ask me, supper time is really difficult at their house. And he said, how do I navigate? You know, there were, there were um, what did he say? There were pieces of celery in the soup that they were eating. Meltdown, dysregulation, fight and flight, crying. And he said, how do I navigate this? relational safety we are going to sit at the table and he said what do i say and i this is what you say our family sits at the table we're going to sit at the table we love sitting at the table we love sitting at the table with you our family eats supper together we can move and then and then when you have regulation once again just like the stoplight we're going to problem solve through what are we gonna do about the celery? That is a toughie. Our family has a lot of ideas. Let's think, what can we do about this celery? Now, I'm a real supporter of not forcing a child to eat celery. That does not affect their development, one whit. That's a personal preference. However, sitting at the table is necessary and sitting with my family is necessary. So we gotta separate those two things, don't we? And help our little one understand that sitting at the table doesn't mean we have to eat celery, right? And help them walk through that and understand that and sequence that and symbolically represent that. Just a, just a yeah. quick side note to reference a podcast I did with Jake Greenspan about food time. He's doing this new food time yeah. program. And I said to him, it's exactly floor time. Um, and, and he yeah. gives you gives all kinds of tips on how to go through meals uh, similar to what you just said. So if people want to delve into that topic further, oh. check that food time at affectautism.com. Yeah. Okay. That's a huge area for family life, Daria. And it causes so much stress for children and families. So I, oh man, 
uh, our own California, um, I'm thinking, oh, and now I can't think of her last name all of a sudden. Her first name is Diane. Uh, Colleen? Yeah, Colleen. Uh, does a wonderful uh, food, working with food and family time around mealtime as well. That's right. I saw, um, I saw a post about that. I'll try and, um, I'll, I'll reference that for sure yes. in the blog as well. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yep. So, uh, so all good. Dressing is another way we can uh, build skill. Um, I don't know what, we, we have to study the routines of the family. And everything's happening in my office, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to study the routines of the family. And when we're setting our goals and setting our outcomes, they have to reflect the needs of the family. Right. So it's, it's, it's sort of balancing getting through the day and getting through the rituals with uh, when we have those good moments, then let's challenge and push developmentally. Yeah. Like, um, okay. And it's always a go forward, come back for regulation, mm -hmm. go forward, come back for regulation. And that's okay. I want to tell moms and dads that's progress. That's progress. Today, you, your little one was able to process a little more demand. Because a parent even said that to me in our online um, parent support group that I facilitate with ICDL, and people can find that at affectautism.com under the events tab. A parent said to me, um, I'm not sure where my son is on the FEDCs, on the Functional Emotional Developmental Capacities, because I think maybe he's at one because he's dysregulated a lot, but sometimes when he's with people he likes, he's at three. And I said, okay, well, remember, it is not a static thing. You're always moving back and forth. So I'm glad you brought up that point. And, and we want to see the best that our kids can do. And that's the level that they have the capacities right now, but we're always going back, regulating, building that engagement back up, getting the back and forth. And yeah. then challenging them a little bit further with playful interactions and trying to problem solve together, trying to think symbolically together. Yes, exactly. It's, oh, it's a, dy it's dynamic. It's exciting. It's, it is inspiring and it's joyful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Christy, for uh, coming back and sharing all of this information with us. And I hope you'll come back again sometime. And we'll, uh, we'll figure out what other uh, angles we can come at with this oh, always. Uh, group. <laughs> yes, I love talking with you. Thank you so much. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.